This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. I am joined today by the irrepressible Chris Ryan, who I ran into over the weekend last, shopping with his kids for large mushrooms and frogs and other weird garden figures. What did you end up with, Chris? Uh, We settled on the cute rabbit. Well, the cute rabbit was pretty innocuous. It's It doesn't make much of a political statement, kind of like the <laughs> frog or the mushroom might be taken as a political statement. But there you have it. Well, listen, I've been thinking about uh, recent events and football. Now, I watch football. Donald Trump doesn't watch football. He doesn't care about football. But I've got an idea. He watches football. You think he watches yeah, football? Yeah, he watches Why, football. I mean, that's a KFC, McDonald's, French fries, Coke kind of kind of event. You think he watches football? Of course he watches football, just like he watches CNN and MSNBC. Uh, yeah, maybe. And, and okay, but I, Joe and- I, I got an idea for him. I think it's time that every NFL player, as a condition of their employment in the major football league, swear a loyalty oath. To Donald Trump. I think that is the way for Trump to make sure that he can get what he wants out of the football, out of the football players. Just a loyalty oath. What's wrong with that? Tell me. Is there anything wrong with a loyalty oath? Not according to Donald. I mean, he's made his cabinet swear a loyalty oath. Everybody swears a loyalty oath. Why not the why not the NFL players? So basically here you're discussing the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles were Uninvited from the White House after only eight of them were going to show up. He uh, claimed that uh, a lot of it had to do with uh, the fact that they were kneeling and disrespectful to the anthem. Several Eagles beat writers uh, tweeted that no one kneeled during the course of the entire year um, on the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, So that was not true. And to me, this was... This was a tremendous opportunity for uh, for the president once again to be a uniter, to be a president and say, <clears throat> OK, we have individuals who are uh, protesting um, police brutality. We have individuals who believe that uh, they should not be protesting during the national anthem because of what it means uh, to our country, what the flag means to our country and the individuals who have served. So why not bring those folks together? and say, we're going to have a summit about this. I'm going to listen to you. You're going to listen to me. He's done these types of things before, but it seems like he wants this story. He likes this story. He likes the to, to be the guy waving the flag and saying that this is what the flag stands for. Uh, it stands for the military. It stands for individuals who have served. You respect that flag or else you're going to suffer my 
my wrath. When and, and, actuality, I mean, the flag individuals who served our country have done so for the right to uh, to have a free and open society, to have a democracy. It's called the First Amendment. Right. And that is, you may agree or disagree with individuals exercising and how they exercise it. Burning the flag, to me, is one of the more disgusting acts imaginable. But individuals have died so that we have a society where you can act freely and speak freely. And that is what the flag stands for yeah, in its entirety. But, uh, you're missing the point. I mean, all of you... All of you lily-livered constitutional types, you just don't get it. This is a different kind of president. It's a different kind of presidency. And look, I'll admit, I have a bizarre fascination with just what a nutball this president is. I, I am. You're obsessed. I, I, I am bizarrely. You're a Trump addict. I, I'm a Trump addict. I bizarrely. I, I, I read the tweets. I watch the news. I mean, you turn, can't turn on the news without 87 different talking heads like you and me talking about <laughs> Donald Trump and what the. What he's done lately. What has he done lately? I mean, and you can't keep up because, you know, it's like it's it's multiple tweets during the day. We have some other things to talk about. But on the football thing, it's amazing that he happened to pick the championship team. He happened to pick a team where nobody kneeled. He happened to simply pick a team to do this to because he wanted, as you said, to continue making Twitter headlines and can you continue keeping the story alive because really that's all he cares about. He keep, cares about keeping the story alive, but I'm telling you that a loyalty oath would solve a lot of this. If we all just swore a loyalty oath to King Donald, this country would be running much more sl- smoothly and at least maybe then we wouldn't have, have so much airtime devoted to all this controversy this this conflict that he engenders I think you have you make a really good point about why there is this constant um, you know angst and turmoil and what really gets Donald Trump upset it's when individuals are disloyal and don't treat him the way that he feels he needs to be treated and because it's he, all about Donald and that he is not respected in the way that he should be or that individuals would inve- have the you know would would have the, the tumult to investigate R- Chris him. Ryan kneel before me I dub thee Sir Chris now swear your loyalty to what me What is the military praying? I am King Donald I will march you at the top at the head of the military parade. You will be followed by the entire NFL playing <laughs> playing Rasta who have sworn their oath of loyalty to me, followed by the Russian KGB who have sworn their loyalty to me because I am King Donald. I mean, really. I mean, he, he's got some weird-ass, weird view of, <laughs> of, of, of what the United States is all about yeah. and what the Constitution means. He really has no, no idea. I mean, did you, I mean, look at what he, look at what he's done on the pardon issue, okay? So, first of all, Robert Mueller, he feels must be closing it. I mean, Mueller's getting closer. We now have seen a letter from Donald Trump's lawyers. Which which ones of his lawyers? I have no idea because there are so many. They change so frequently because they don't swear the loyalty oath. They change so frequently. We don't know which lawyers, but apparently they've written uh, multiple letters to Mueller, some of which are now being leaked. Giuliani is all over the lot. I mean, Giuliani doesn't know, but the issue of pardon came up. (laughs) A pardon. Okay, so let's be clear. The president has 
the right to issue pardons. And he has indiscriminately and flagrantly abused that privilege by giving pardons to Dinesh D'Souza, to Joe Arpaio. But to President Obama did. Yeah, President yeah, yeah. Clinton everybody, did. Everybody, and I, I think every, there's a big issue. We okay. talked about this a lot this week. There's a big issue with presidential pardons right. as a whole. In my That's view, right. But. So there you go. Every every pre- Let's just agree. Every president abuses, abuses pardons, and Donald Trump is no exception. Right. He's clearly trying to send a message with his pardons that I can I can pardon anybody. But Donald Trump has gone a little bit farther because Donald Trump is now trying to make the case that he, the president, could pardon himself, the president, uh, if he was indicted and convicted of criminal activity. That is a rather bizarre notion, which I thought was put to rest back in the 70s, 1974, 1975, with uh, when the Justice Department made clear that, number one, no, no man in America is above the law, and that uh, it would be an absurdity to suggest that one could be one's own judge, jury, and um, clemency granter uh, at but the there's same no time. provision at all that indicates that the president cannot do that. Correct. There is no provision that says the president can't pardon himself. So he can pardon himself. Well, in my view, he can't pardon himself. What do you mean? Because he can't. He can't. It, it, that's not what the. If you you have to look at the law in the context of what uh, the law says, what the framers intended, and there was no doubt. Uh, you would have to make certainly it. the Justice Department in 1975 in in a in a presidential controversy was clear at that time that presidents can't pardon themselves for criminal activity. Right, but it the, would make it, it it's absurd. They don't have absolute power to the 19. 1974 Justice Department does not have absolute power in regards to the constitutionality of, of pardoning. And there is nothing that states clearly that the president cannot pardon himself. He has absolute power in regards to, uh, to pardoning. So, yes, you're right. There would be an interpretation that would obviously go to the Supreme Court in totality, and they would make the determination as to what the intention was and such and the ambiguity that exists. But in my view, I don't see why the president can't pardon himself What kind legally. of person would even... Would even just, start I, talking. What kind of guy? What kind of guy would even start talking about? I, I can that. pardon myself, and then Rudy Giuliani weighs in. Rudy Giuliani is a real trouble for the president. You know, I mean, I don't know why he got hired because Rudy is all over the lot. One day he says something that Trump agrees with. The next day Trump is throwing him under the bus because Giuliani can't keep his story straight. One day it's yeah, it's fine. The next day no, it's not. Um, I mean, I, didn't Giuliani weigh? in and say that that basically would direct lead directly to impeachment if the president pardoned himself because remember folks the impeachment process is completely different from the criminal uh, criminal justice process the impeachment process is a process wholly contained within the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate um, and doesn't even require conviction for a criminal activity uh, or a criminal conviction uh, for, for there to be impeachment. Um, uh, so do you disagree, Chris Ryan, the irrepressible Chris Ryan, that if he was convicted of something while president and pardoned himself, that impeachment proceedings, even with Republicans in the majority, would, would commence? Oh, Chris has given me that I don't know. I, smile. I, 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 He's given me that I'm not sure. He's I, given me that hesitation blues. 
I, I, I really, really doubt that there is a scenario that exists where um, Republicans would impeach this president. What's it going to take for Republicans to impeach Donald Trump? What's it going to take? I think that he will uh, make a he will make an argument that they will be able to somehow sell. Um, that he that he was either wronged or that uh, this is a uh, a corrupt investigation. None of this took place. What took place doesn't really matter. Um, you know, it's there was the, the, until he'll find something to cling on to, which will allow for you know a Republican majority, which has been largely spineless in regards to this uh, president to begin with, to to continue to um, you know to play the game. Now, as it inches closer towards. You know, 2018 in the midterm election, the only thing that will really move Republicans is if they see that they're going to lose their jobs. Um, and if, if think- Trump becomes a if Trump becomes an issue for them in the polls, that is the only possible thing that will move them. But I think that Trump keeps that uh, keeps his base no matter what the situation is. I think he aptly you know, said during the campaign that he could shoot somebody on um, on Ma- Madison Avenue, and he still would. Uh, they still cheer him, and he'd still be in the same place and in the polls. Par- and he'd pardon himself. And- this is off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Call two two four nine. And speaking of the upcoming midterm elections, don't go away, folks, because we'll be back in just a few minutes for a conversation with Chris Pappas, a leading candidate for the Democratic nomination in the first congressional CD over there in the Seacoast area. Don't go away. You don't want to miss this conversation on Off the Record. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com, where you can join my dozens of listeners and binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased that... I am joined by Chris Pappas. Hello, Chris. Good afternoon. It's great to be with you, Paul. Chris is a leading candidate for the Democratic nomination over in the first CD, the first congressional district of New Hampshire in a multi-candidate field. Uh, got real crowded real fast, and apparently uh, more more candidates. Uh, um, uh, you never you never can tell when they might join, uh, even though the filing period is just passed. Who knows? We might even see candidates uh, begging for for relief. Uh, we 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 still want to file. There may be forty or fifty before we're done. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Orange County, California, where there were so many Democratic candidates, you needed a scorecard. Um, Chris, you you're you're in a crowded field. Um, uh, what's going on over there? Well, I guess it's the thing to do this year, especially in the first district. We've got nine Democrats, three Republicans, and still time for some more to to get in. 
but I think it's indicative of the fact that people want to be a part of the conversation this year. And so even individuals that haven't served in office before um, feel like they want to, you know, try to um, push back against what they're seeing in Washington, what they're seeing um, out of this White House, which is just disgusting and confounding. Um, and it's bizarre undermining our ability as a country to be able to create a space where we can relate to one another and get things done. Um, you know, for me, I've served on the executive council for three terms. I run a restaurant business in Manchester that's been in my family for 101 years. Um, so I feel really grounded in the people and issues of the Granite State. And when Carol Shea Porter decided to retire, I jumped in pretty quickly because I think not only do I have a record of getting things done at the State House and a record of responsive, constituent-oriented leadership, um, but I think the ability to pull together a coalition of voters to win what's been a swing seat. You know, this one's gone back and forth five of the last six elections. It's been a ping-pong match. I remember. And Frank. I remember. Um, and I think the voters of the 1st District and of New Hampshire at large would benefit from someone who can string together a few terms and gain some seniority to leverage resources, whether it's for the opioid crisis or veterans health care or any of a number of the other concerns that I hear about all the time on the campaign trail. Well, you and I have known each other for a long time. I mean, you're a young guy. I'm I'm not as young as I, I once was, but I mean, you were already influential in Democratic circles when I started running for Congress. I ran for Congress without any experience whatsoever. I mean, New Hampshire is that kind of place mm-hmm. where uh, citizen legislature seems to be the 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 name of the game we have 400 400 representatives at at the state house and you know i mean when i was in congress people really they 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 they'd say to me well gee your name is familiar uh, are you down in concord um they had no idea whether i was a representative often mm-hmm. in concord or down in washington yeah. um so there is this ability in New Hampshire to run kind of out out of the blue and make a name mm-hmm. and 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 do it. Now, I was kind of fortunate when I ran for Congress um, the first time in 2004, uh, there was not really a primary because mm-hmm. nobody at the time was thinking of taking of taking on Char- Charlie Bass in the second CD who had you know, old family, been there a long time, uh, relatively moderate Republican. Now, we, I don't know, Charlie, if you're listening, you probably it's time to switch to the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, but over in the first CD, as you said, it's gone back and forth. The district seems to uh, it seems to be confused. Um, what a what a what are you hearing out there? What do people want? What don't they want? What do they care about? Does anybody even care what political party anybody's in anymore? I, I think the um, you know back and forth nature of this district is indicative of the fact that there are a, a wide swath of independent voters, um, and I think this year those independents are going to punish the party in power as they typically do in these midterm elections. Oh, I remember that too. And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's ample uh, reason why they would uh, go against the Republican agenda, which has, uh, you know, been attacking the middle class on almost a daily basis, whether it's the tax scam legislation that was passed, whether it's the constant efforts to repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act and take away health care from tens of millions of Americans. Um, so that's not lost on voters. And when I get out there, we're knocking on doors already. You know, people will hold you for 20 or 30 minutes on their doorstep. Um, you're almost their political therapist. Uh, they want to talk to you about everything they're seeing and feeling and experiencing. Sometimes it starts with 
uh, discussion about the president and just how uh, incomprehensible his activities are. But it moves pretty quickly to something that's pretty substantive because people want to see action, whether it's on gun violence, whether it's on immigration and creating a pathway to citizenship for dreamers and those who are living in the shadows in our state, or whether it's, uh, you know, pocketbook issues that impact their families very directly, like the cost of college, wages, affordable housing. Um, Those are the things that people are talking most about out there. And I think as a Democrat, a candidate this year in this environment, we've got to do a couple things. One, we've got to say we're so much better than the uh, worldview of President Trump. But two, we also have to speak, I think, to the economic anxiety that exists and to the issues that people are experiencing and feeling in their daily lives. And I think we can't win without that component, without being substantive and thoughtful. So when I ran for Congress and when I served in Congress, my sense was that Uh, We have a very sophisticated electorate in New Hampshire. Um, As you say, people want to engage you on the doorstep um, on substantive issues. And my, I, I always felt like, uh, and at the time the issue, the big issue for me was the war in Iraq. Um, What people wanted from me wasn't just, well, they they never wanted to hear, well, I'm just going to be a congressman and I don't have to come up with a plan. People wanted to know, well, what's your plan uh, for getting out of Iraq? Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to, they wanted me basically to, pre- you know, not pretend, but mm-hmm. but speak to them like I was president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And here's my plan. Here's my concept. Here's how it works. Here's why. Um, are you finding the same uh, as you campaign for Congress? I, I know you've campaigned for executive council where the issues are, are really, really local, but now you're dealing with issues of national and global importance as a congressman. Are you finding people engaging you on that kind of level as if it's Chris Pappas for president of the United States and uh, we want to know how you're going to do it and what what are your plans for doing this? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think people are demanding details. They're demanding substance and I think you just can't you know be someone who deals with things on a surface level um, that's not passable for the voters of New Hampshire you know when I've run for council in the past no one knows what the heck the executive council is or does even people that have lived in New Hampshire their whole lives so I always spoke to sort of the broader issues as almost like I was running for governor um, and I think that's one way that people can get a sense of who you are what your values are and how you're you'll comport yourself in office. So when I talk about issues, it's got to go beyond, well, I believe everyone should have health insurance. Um, We've got to talk about specific uh, priorities that you'll get behind in Congress, Uh, whether it's the Choose Medicare Act, which creates a Part E, which will allow individuals and businesses uh, to buy in that Senator Merkley and Senator Murphy are proposing, which is an exciting concept for me um, that I'm supporting in this campaign. So, you know, we do talk about specific legislation uh, proposals. Um, And I think that, um, you know, sometimes you don't have the answers. um, But I think, you know, as a candidate, this has been an incredible learning experience for me to be out there because I feel so much better grounded today in terms of the priorities and issues that people are experiencing than, you know, six months ago when I started this process. And so I think you do have to be an active listener as a candidate and uh, remain so because um, beyond, beyond having some solutions, People want to know that you're someone who's accessible, that you'll constantly be engaging with people. You'll be very active around the state. You'll have a strong constituent service operation, you know, sort of the old Ray Burton model where all politics is local and very personal. Um, So there's that component, too, that's really important. I think a lot of people uh, miss during campaign season especially 
they miss a discussion about the importance of customer service. Because I, you know, my approach to the job was I represent everybody. I don't mm-hmm. care whether you voted for me or didn't vote for me. Sure. Uh, the Ray Burton model works in New Hampshire, which is everybody, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a voice for each person. And customer service is perhaps one of the most important things that a member of Congress brings to the job, not just down in Washington, where you're serving as a voice and taking positions, but here in New Hampshire, where a big part of a member of Congress's team is set up to handle really the critical day-to-day issues that people have when they're trying to interface with the federal Mm -hmm. government. And that's often lost. I mean, it's often an afterthought in campaigning. You know, for on, on your part, I mean, I've been to your restaurant more times than, I mean, so many, you know, I've been a regular patron. And then, of course, the chicken fingers are famous. But past the chicken fingers, there's a sense that I've gotten because I've been there when you're there and you and I have talked that you're somebody who understands the importance of customer service and knows how to listen and treat people the way they want to be treated. And that is is often um, intangible, but it's really critical in the job. Mm-hmm. It, it, and that's why you're there. And I think sometimes where you can make the biggest impact, you know, you can give a speech, um, you can be involved in committee proceedings, but if you're able to get a veteran um, into a facility for the procedure that they need, if you're able to help um, an Indonesian American whose status is threatened by the Trump administration, um, that's really meaningful and deep and pretty profound. And um, I think that's a large component of what motivates me to do this. Um, so tell me about the process that you're going through. Um, how's your campaign organized? What are you focused on? Uh, what are you doing now? Um, uh, now that now that we've filed, uh, the field is there. People are, are are you know are headed. The summer is a pretty slow time. I mean, in my experience, campaigns kind of bumped along with <clears throat> an awful lot of money raising often, and um, not too much in the summer when people are on vacation. And then come Labor Day, it's as if a switch gets turned on. And the last couple, you know, and then in the last couple of, of weeks, of course, you're going to have a primary mm-hmm. in September and it's a nine person primary. So what's what's your what's your a little bit of your strategy without revealing more than you want to tell me, but we're off the record anyway. So sure. what's your strategy here in the primary? How are you going to distinguish yourself yeah. um, among this nine person field? Yeah, we've been very active in terms of our campaign and from the outset I wanted to develop a campaign where I felt no one was going to outwork us, that we weren't going to leave anything on the field. We've been on a tour of the district, 80 ways to meet me in 80 days before we filed at the State House, And we, I think we've done 85 events uh, over that period of time, um, coffee shops, bowling alleys, small businesses where we could get to meet people and get a sense of the district. Look, I represent a third of the district right now in my executive council seat in the greater Manchester area. I've been elected there three times in a district that voted for Trump and Romney and uh, Scott Brown and Walt Havenstein and lots of other Republicans. Um, and I've been able to win not because I've shied away from uh, being a progressive or fighting on issues like Planned Parenthood or Medicaid expansion, but because I have a local business, and I guess I have a profile that people can plug into outside of politics, and we've always done outreach to people who are in the middle and independent voters. So I think that's a part of our strategy. But really, 
um, we feel that if we can make the right connections on the seacoast and the lakes region and up in Carroll County um, for the primary, then we'll be in really good shape. Uh, most of the other candidates are from Stratford County and the Portsmouth area. Um, and so we're building a strong coalition to win. You know, we've got some great top level support from the majority of mayors, state senators, state representatives from the district. Uh, we have people who supported Bernie, who supported Hillary in the last go round. Um, we have Senator Maggie Hassan behind us, organized labor, including the Teamsters, NEA New Hampshire, which is our largest union representing educators, IBEW. And there will be more that we roll out as well uh, over the course of the campaign. But it's really going to be a, the ground operation that, that we feel is going to bring it home for us. We've got about two dozen um, summer fellows, college students, who are going to be part of our field operation this summer and hundreds of people that have signed up to volunteer. So we've already done quite a bit of door knocking. Uh, we'll be doing more over the summer. We're also doing an ice cream social tour the district. So uh, anytime we can bring our uh, local ice cream product around the state, uh, we feel we can pick up some votes and it's a great way to engage people and not just the activists, but, you know, people who might be interested in voting in a Democratic primary. So we'll be reaching out to those folks. We're talking with Chris Pappas here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. We're going to take a brief break, and then we'll be back with more conversation with Chris Pappas, candidate for the United States Congress in the first congressional CD. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, we're talking with Chris Pappas, <clears throat> candidate for Congress in the first congressional CD an experienced state executive counselor, an experienced restaurateur. His family's been in Manchester a long time. He's got a strong base of support uh, in Manchester. He's been involved in democratic politics for a long time. And Chris, question that keeps popping up is the Democratic Party seems to be um, split. There's always, it seems to be internecine warfare between people who style themselves as progressives on the left and are uh, calling anybody who doesn't, I don't know where, I, I don't know, I don't know what the qualities are, but calling people establishment and an establishment Democrat. And it kind of is a replay of the Bernie Hillary conversation and the split that happened, of course, here in New Hampshire. Bernie won the primary. Hillary was the eventual candidate. Um, and without replaying the old feud, how do you answer people who say you're just an establishment hack? You've been in politics. You've been around. You're the chosen of a child of the Democratic Party. You're just an establishment hack. 
Well, thanks for putting it that way. Um, you know, I mean, why not? Why not be blunt about about this? The, you know what what happens? I mean, really? I mean, I could I could pretty it up, but mm-hmm. but but that's the kind of you know that's the level of dialogue that I'm yeah. hearing. Yeah, we. Um, certainly are not taking any support that we're not earning in this campaign. And we're really being as aggressive as we can to earn every vote. Um, The fact that some people think I'm a favorite um, as a 38-year-old gay restaurant owner from the hardscrabble city of Manchester is uh, an interesting thought. Um, But, you know, look, we're working hard, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with having um, some service under your belt and having some accomplishments that you can point to. Um, What I've found as I've engaged, particularly um, activist Democrats, um, is that people have a comfort level and a trust with me, whether they supported Hillary or Bernie in the past presidential primary. We've got some of Bernie's top supporters on our campaign, including Andy Valinsky and Dudley Dudley um, and others who fought hard for Senator Sanders. And I think that as a party, we've got to get beyond uh, the division of that primary. Um, and some of those divisions are still a little bit raw. We have to ensure that the party um, welcomes all voices at the table, that the DNC cleans up his act with respect to uh, superdelegates. And I think that we have a really bottom-up process. I think the mistake that we can make in this campaign is if we just read the talking points coming out of uh, Washington, we need this to be an organic Uh, New Hampshire-based effort, and that's what we're trying to create here. So we do have some supporters all across the spectrum, um, and I feel that I'm in a position where I can bring people together. That's really what we've done in our past campaigns. Uh, We've also attracted significant Republican support. So we're going to go everywhere, talk to everyone, um, and not take any vote for granted. And, uh, you know, nothing's being handed to us on a silver platter here. We're going to have to build this um, ourselves. I suppose that that, uh, those who would claim you're an establishment candidate are 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 might be concerned that, as you said, you're endorsing a uh, Merkley Murphy proposal for uh, Medicare Part E, where you can buy in. Um, Bernie on the far left said, "Well, you know, we need Medicare Medicare for all, and make it make just give it you know give it make it free, give it give everybody Medicare for all." So some folks would say, "Well, uh, Pappas is looking for some kind of establishment middle ground by not going uh, all the way." And I don't know if he uh, cares. Uh, you know, I don't know if he wants to give everybody free college tuition. And um, you know, and and by the way, what's your position on our troops in uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq? Where they, you know, we see we haven't heard much news mm-hmm. about what's going on over there. But uh, where are you on the military and 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 the war effort? Mm-hmm. We, we, a number of questions there. Uh, <laughs> one on health care. It's a value of mine that it's a right and not a privilege. We provided coverage at our business long before we were required to do so because it's the right thing to do, and we need to own up to that as a country. I think we also have to recognize, though, the perilous political situation we're in right now where the fight is over how do we maintain the aspects of the Affordable Care Act that are working and so essential for people before we can have the bigger discussion. I mean, we have Donald Trump or Mike Pence is president for the next few years. Um, So that's what we're going to have to contend with. And I think that even if we're able to take incremental steps, uh, like expanding um, access to Medicare, I think that's a step in the right direction and and something I'll certainly support. With respect to our position on the global stage, I mean, we have been in these conflicts uh, in the Middle East uh, that have tied us up um, since President Bush opened up Pandora's box. 
And we can't tolerate, um, as a country, the continued use of force uh, without authorization, um, as we've seen in Syria. So Congress needs to demand um, its rightful role in providing some stability and consistency um, to this administration's um, foreign affairs policy, because we can't leave it to the saber-rattling of Donald Trump and uh, John Bolton um, to ensure that, you know, this country is, um, you know, keeping Americans safe at home and abroad. I'm really concerned with the direction of things overseas. And it's time to wind down things uh, in Afghanistan, certainly, and uh, limit our role and lean into the natural alliances that we have with so many other countries that this this c- administration's walking away from. Well, the administration's not just walking away. The administration uh, has has just uh, imposed a trade war uh, with our closest allies rather than working with the allies. Mm-hmm. The administration refuses to uh, deal um, uh, responsibly with Russia. And um, Trump is too busy making cozy business deals with the Chinese government to uh, really do anything effective uh, about China. So it's really, um, as they say, uh, uh, an A-blank-blank-backwards um, p- approach to uh, our our global our global affairs because we've got um, a real threat uh, now with a resurgent Russia which now thinks that they've got their own guy in the White House apparently and China which thinks that they can buy him off and unfortunately they're right. What's it going to take for you to vote for impeachment? I think it's going to take the conclusion of the Mueller investigation and all the facts being out on the table um, before I could, I think, reasonably assess um, future steps that need to be taken. I think that's a solemn constitutional responsibility. Um, And if there were instances where high crimes and misdemeanors um, have been committed um, and it's shown that, um, then certainly um, I I would be supportive of that process. Is obstruction of justice a high crime and misdemeanor? I think it is. Um, so if if the Mueller investigation concludes that uh, in the course of his duties as president, the president uh, obstructed justice, for example, by firing Comey for participating in uh, writing um, misleading and false um, letters about uh, meetings with Russians uh, and of and or other facts uh, that uh, could be enough for you to uh, uh, consider voting for impeachment. And I think that we need to ensure that this isn't doesn't play out in a political context or in a political arena. I think we've got to be very careful. How could it not? Uh, well, I think you know, you know it it by nature will, but if there is a way that. Um, Republicans can play a role in assessing whatever information is produced um, and taking a responsible role in that process, I think we're much better off as a country. And I'm not saying that um, is going to necessarily be the case, um, but I think that's the ideal. And I think we want to create um, a scenario whereby that potentially could happen. You know, I, I, I appreciate that. And um, at least in my experience, um, in Congress, it was ten years ago now, ten years plus actually, no, ten years ago, and and at the time there was fierce partisanship um, in public, in private. Members of Congress 
get along really well because, you know, it's really hard mm-hmm. to get elected to Congress no matter what your politics are without being a nice person. Um, it really is people generally vote for people for Congress that they feel some, you know, that they, that they like. And, and we spent um, a lot of time as a class when I was there um, with our fe- fellows across the aisle. We had regular dinners. We had regular meeting. I'm thinking of, you know, numbers of, re- of dinners at Chinese restaurants with Kevin McCarthy, who's mm-hmm. now in line to be speaker, who was who came in with, with my class. In public, the partisanship was fierce. And um, I think certainly on the Senate side, you've got Mitch McConnell, who uh, without gilding the lily, has has just ha- has has raised partisanship to a whole new level, and certainly in the House now with the Conservative Freedom Caucus really holding sway for a, for a while with the Republican uh, Caucus, it's really hard to envision any cooperation on a reality based approach to restoring. Uh, the um, the presidency to its rightful place. Um, it may be that that you're going to end up shaking your head and saying, "Well, I'm sorry. I'd like to be bipartisan about this, but mm-hmm. this is going to be a partisan effort because the Republicans simply can't come along because there is no more Republican Party. It's now the Trump Party. Are you prepared to do that if it comes to that and take the kind of stand that says, "I've tried. I can't." They're unreasonable. We're going to do this. I think you always want to start off by having an outstretched hand, but sometimes that's just not practical. Um, and we've seen that um, case over over a long period of time. Um, you know, I, you've been there. Um, I think, you know, the prospect of bipartisan cooperation has deteriorated over time. Um, and I think we're still capable of that to a degree here in New Hampshire. Uh, in Washington, it's a lot harder because politics is a blood sport. It's a zero-sum game, and both parties are out for every seat, and they don't want to seat an inch. Um, but I think the you know the scenario you described where you can have personal relationships, you can uh, develop a rapport with individuals across the aisle, I think that's the only chance you have at potentially um, building bridges that are going to result in cooperation over time. Um, And it, you know, it seems like there are reasonable Republicans. They're just the ones who decide to retire. And then after they decide to step down or not to run again, uh, then they show, uh, you know, sort of a glimmer of, of, of hope that you might be able to work with them. What do we do about money in politics? What about campaign finance reform? Yeah. This is um, the issue that underpins, I think, all issues. Um, and the big money that floods into the system um, wasn't just brought about by Citizens United, but we've seen a tenfold explosion in the amount of outside money spent on elections as a result of that decision. And there could potentially be future decisions that come down that make this situation even worse. Um, I think that we need campaign finance reform. We need to try to repeal that decision, certainly. But I support publicly financed elections. I support legislation like the um, act proposed by Congressman Sarbanes, which would incentivize um, small donations to campaigns and allow everyone to have a tax credit to make a political contribution of $50. I think that would be a way to, you know, put more weight 
on the power of small donors and regular individuals as opposed to the big corporations and special interests that seem to control the process right now. We're not taking any corporate PAC money for our campaign. Um, That appears to be a trend where other people are signing up to do that, but it goes beyond just that sort of a pledge that you make. Um, We've got to um, come up with ways legislatively to push money aside and put the power in our democracy back in the hands of the people. Chris, what's your website? It's chrispappas.org. Folks, if you want to reach Chris Pappas, it's chrispappas.org. Chris Pappas is a candidate for the United States Congress in the first congressional CD, a strong Democratic contender with lots of ideas about what to do to fix a broken nation. Chris, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, archived there for your binge listening and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. We'll be back to wrap up in just a moment. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Well, this week, it was a week in sports. We talked about the NFL and Donald Trump, and why don't Why don't the NFL players just swear a loyalty oath to Donald Trump? That would solve everything. Then he wouldn't care as long as he knew that they were loyal to King Donald. And we had a great conversation with Chris Pappas, a deeply thoughtful and experienced candidate for the United States Congress in the first congressional CD. Chris has good answers to tough questions and wants to bring people together to solve the problems that face our nation. Uh, This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet. Thanks to our sponsor, The Birches at Concord. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM.